This is the Catholic Movie Guy Podcast. So we are back on the Catholic Movie Guy Podcast, and thankfully, uh, prayers are answered. It's Bo, not Tim. Yeah, I was <laughs> when you when we were talking about uh, you know making a podcast for Blade Runner. I could only imagine Tim is both too suited and too ill-suited to speak well about Blade Runner 2040 or 9 I think yeah 2040 something whatever but uh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. he uh he is a big fan of the original I know uh so you know first of all I'm not gonna do the whole no spoiler thing you know go see it and uh go see the first one so we're gonna spoil it we're just gonna talk freely no restrictions yes um first of all back background here the original Blade Runner. I saw it recently. I've only seen the or not the director's cut, the final cut, which is like the really the director's cut. And I don't know which. Have you have you seen more than one version? Have you only seen the original? What have you seen? I've seen more than one version. I don't think I've got to see the final cut. I haven't got to watch it as recently as I'd like. But I took philosophy of film, so you can imagine how much a, a, a film nerd philosopher in the early 2000s would have been all up about different versions of Blade Runner. So exactly. back in my, my college days, yes, I, I remember that being a big deal. So everyone, you know, again, we're going to spoil it, but short, long story short, this is a movie about a dystopian future, so I'm on board, mm-hmm. and a sequel about a movie about a dystopian future. I'm on board. Check. Yeah, check, check. And in this future, there are, you know, humans and there are replicants. Go, what, what do you, how do you define a replicant exactly, Bo? You know, I, actually, one of the really mystifying things about replicants in, in you know, in other, relationship to other dystopias is it's not like if you cut them, you see a robot underneath. So there's no Darth Vader or, like, clickety-clacks if you cut their hand. I think they just kind of say they're biologically engineered humans, and the big distinction, like, you know, because there's, like, Nexus 6s, Nexus 8, Nexus 9s, um, the only big differences is lifespan, uh, like, how long they're able to live and then how compliant they are. Um, The first ones, like, that we, as a movie viewing audience, that we get to learn about are the Nexus 6s, and... um, they only are supposed to live for a certain amount of time, and that plays a big deal in the first Blade Runner. But presumably the Nexus 8s and the 9s, which we can get into like why their distinctions are important, they can live indeterminately. But the big deal is they're never children. And so that starts to be this really interesting uh, side note to all of this is they're adults that are superhuman strength. They have all these like – Frankenstein monster yearnings to like meet their creator and live uh, but they never had childhood either and that plays a big deal in all of this as well right so and and I guess the you know let's let's start with the broader points so the, the overall you know main theme I guess of these movies taken as a whole is kind of you know what it means to be human or or, or, or what makes someone a soul or something you know something like that and yep. I think we learn a lot through how how they make the replicants about the things that make something essentially human. And one of the things that they do, and it figures prominently in this one, less so in the first one, but it's still a big background issue, is they don't have memories because, like you said, they're created as adults, but they are implanted with memories. Mm-hmm. Because to remember yeah. is an essential part of being human. And 
by the way, to geek out, that I thoroughly impressed with how they took that that theme from the first and totally brought it up front to being like a pressing issue in the sequel. You know, a lot of times people will take sort of like little ideas from the first movie and then make a lot of hay out of them in the second. You're kind of like, oh, this can be bad. But I was I was really impressed because, you know, like you said, that's sort of a background issue in the first one. But it's sort of the pivot of of the sequel, and I was really impressed. Yeah, and so so basic plot of both movies is we are following an agent of of the state, or uh, and the state is really <laughs> kind of an agent of this corporation. What's the name of the corporation? I can't remember. Uh, it's Tyrell in Tyrell, the first one, and, and this one it's uh ah uh, starts with a W. Uh, why am I blanking the, on this? Isn't it just the same? Hold on, I'm gonna. Look yeah. this up. He, he um, yeah, he buys uh, Zach Efron's character buys the Tyrell company after it goes bankrupt, and that's why he has it. Got it. So basically, you know, it's a lot like 2017 America and that corporations run our lives. Um, these corporations have, what for whatever reason, through their agents in the state, they're seeking to to. To exterminate, they call it retire. These replicants that are out of uh, out of control. Right. And in the first one, Harrison Ford is is the agent, and his name's Decker. And one of the the principal arguments that geeks get into over the first movie, because it's not explicit, certainly not in the originally released one, it's not explicit. That is Decker a replicant or not? Right. Uh, what's your view on that one? Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back uh, and. and throw down a, an Iris Dement song and say, let the mystery be. I, I, I don't think it, I think it's supposed to be completely indeterminate and to, to try, I mean, searching for clues is fun, but for me, um, I think the whole point is you're not supposed to know what he is. And yeah. I think they, they, they meant to do that. I think it's good to have, you know, arguments on both sides. I like the ambiguity, but just for anyone who's seeking out which version should I watch, because there are like multiple versions not just these two I'm going to mention but the two main ones are the originally released version of the original Blade Runner and the director not the director the final cut which was released in the 90s and the biggest difference like aesthetically is that the first movie is narrated by he has voiceover narration Harrison Ford whereas right. the the last one the final cut does not so I would normally say go seek that one out but in the final cut it is like Ridley Scott had this mission to make you know that Deckard is a replicant, whereas right. in the first one it's definitely more leaning towards human or ambiguous. So, you know, you make the choice. But I agree. I think the the film thematically is a lot more successful if he's not explicitly a replicant. Right. But then we pick up in this one, and it's how many years later? I think it's 30 years later, right? 30, 30 years later. And Ryan Gosling is explicitly a replicant named Kay, and he is on the hunt. For the corporation to find, we find out very early on what appears to be a human baby produced from a replicant, which is which is unheard of. Right, and you know one of the things. So you know how uh, speaking of corporations running our lives, it's always great when like movie companies, especially what's in the news now with like Weinstein and everything. It's a wonderful great when you have, man. Yeah, right. It's always great when you have movies that are like these darn tarnation companies running our <laughs> lives as if they're not like a company running our lives but so one of the things they've been doing of course is like releasing pr like shorts or previews like 
uh, Planet of the Apes, uh, the, the newest incarnation, famously did this. Um, they did this with Blade Runner. They had three shorts that happened between the interval of the first one that happens in alternate universe 2019, and then and then this one 2049. Um, I would actually, for one change, like tell people to go seek those out because it tells stories. It, it, it gives background to some of the things they refer to. Like they keep talking about the blackout in 2049. Mm-hmm. Well, in 2022, uh, Nexus Eight robots um, rebelled. And like shot at what is it EMPD uh, and like EMP. into EMP excuse me yeah and uh, blanked out all of the the records basically in 2022 so that the, the reason they were doing that is there was a human supremacy movement that was going through and trying to kill replicants after word got out about what the ones did in 2019 so they're like lynching replicants in the streets because there's a registry of, of replicants and they could all go look up who was a replicant who's not so the nexus eights rebelled caused all of this data to disappear and so that makes Tyrell Company go bankrupt, and this is where Ryan Gosling – or not not Ryan Gosling, Jared Leto, excuse me, his character buys uh, the Tyrell Company and starts making the Nexus 9s. So I think you can kind of get that if you watch the movie, but like uh, this is one idea where like one of these little dinky shorts they make help actually explain a lot. Yeah, and you, and you would think this is a two-hour and 40-minute movie. We don't need any more explanation, but you'd be wrong. Right, yeah, you you can keep explaining things. <laughs> so 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 we've gotten we've gotten plot heavy, and you can see from this description of the plot. I'm not going to spoil everything, but that there are a lot of themes here that give plenty of grist for the mill for the thoughtful Catholic viewer. But uh, I want to say before we before we go too deep, the director of this uh, sequel is not Ridley Scott. It is Denis Villeneuve. Villeneuve? How do you say his name? He's French. Yeah, I'm I'm actually not sure, but he. He did another uh, yeah. favorite of ours. Favorite, right. That's a word for yes. it. He, he did Arrival, which is probably the only podcast where we really kind of disagreed on, on the ultimate judgment of a movie. That's right. But I want to say I have to now nominate this guy for the most pro-life director award. I mean, between this and Arrival, I, I, two very life-affirming movies. Oh, I, yeah. I, not since uh, Children of Men have we really had movies like this that um, – the, the ability to have a child uh, is shown as like the entire world hinges on it. So yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, and even the uh, even from Arrival, another theme of the importance of or, you know, of memory or what's 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 memory, what's what's prescience, what you know that whole thing of being human. Again, another thoughtful meditation here in a very different way. But unlike Arrival, which I don't I don't know off the top of my head, I'm guessing it was around two hours. Okay, right. This movie is two hours and 49 minutes, and I, I don't know why. I really don't, because I think most people would, would probably say the opposite, but I found this much more uh, engaging, and I was not bored at all. No, I mean, one of the things he does well, and maybe, I mean, I, I of course, liked Arrival more than you did, but I one thing that I'll, I'll give to you, and why I actually will think this is a better movie than Arrival, is he, he allowed... He allowed like there to be chapter distinctions visually, as it were. Like when we would switch scenes, they would be so visually distinct from what went behind, like right before it, that it's almost like mentally, you, you your brain took a breath and was able to sort of start its focus over. 
the thing you'd have to say about arrival right is like you almost never really leave like the field in montana to referring back if people want to go listen to that one but this one you know you really do visually get multiple worlds that you are implanted in and, and in such a stunning way that i think that that's why a nearly three-hour movie just I, I, you're right i don't think it drags ever Yes, and I, and I want to say a huge, huge credit has to be given. I mean, the cinematography in this is great, and the, the guy's name escapes me. He's a very, very famous one. Uh, yes, Catholic movie guy doesn't know, but he's great. So they're just a cinematographer, so who cares about his name? But uh, right. huge credit to him, but also, I mean, huge credit to Ridley Scott, because if you go back to that original Blade Runner for being made in 1982, oh, to be able yeah. to pull off that fully formed worldview in a a believable way with the technology at the time. Amazing. And then, you know, you can tell that they're fans of the original and they use, you know, the considerable more means at their disposal to make this, this fully realized world even more fleshed out along the margins. And the way that each um, setting within this futuristic world, like contrasts Los Angeles to the, the garbage dump outside of Los Angeles to uh, the Las Vegas uh, with the, with their, like, stripper uh you know rock formation sculptures i mean just awesome absolutely a feast for the eyes and and and, you know so to give an example about how much better this is than something that i allow myself to appreciate even though other people bash the movie so are you gonna are you gonna are you gonna say star wars no okay so tron and tron Tron. 2 which neither (laughs) neither of them are stellar movies right but they're fun. My brother and I went and watched. We're like, oh, remember old Tron? Look at new Tron, you know. But and and you're like, look at them and they're in their computers and and making Tron two new, ha ha ha. But you look <laughs> at this and you go, wow. Like not only was Blade Runner like just decades ahead of its time visually, but I think that you want to talk about someone who truly inherited the visual motifs of the original and like you said utilized what they have now well i mean i'm just they did and they didn't overdo it there was i I don't there was never a time where you're like oh great you have cgi now look there was like fights and deaths and i don't think I, i never felt like anything was you know speeding up or like you know blitzing across the screen or like 15,000 bullets were being fired like the movie was just willing to be patient and be Mm -hmm. what it was Mm -hmm. and I'm just again just amazed yeah a lot more realistic than your typical uh, when it's set in a realistic setting and you have all these special effects it's like yeah it's incredibly believable and at at the same time like a stunningly oppressive atmosphere and dreary and yet hauntingly beautiful you know right i I don't i don't know how they how they pulled that off but they did oh yeah i mean even the the sort of opening shot opening shots flying over just like the sort of you know mold like everything being nearly cookie cutter and it's oppression but just being like happy to be there looking at that shot i mean it's been so long since i've seen a movie where i'm like i'm just glad to be looking at it on a big screen right i could not agree more so we got so we have you know thoughtful themes we have incredible cinematography beautiful directing but the acting i got to talk about my man ryan gosling okay right (laughs) you may have remembered a little film called the notebook wonderful wait no it's horrible um 
and I hated Ryan Gosling because he was in that and because he existed, because he's got that hey girl face, you know? Uh, it's kind of the, the same memes. reason. Yeah. It's, it's the memes. Yeah. It's the same reason I hated Mike Matheny, you know? He just looks like, <laughs> hey, I'm going to steal your girlfriend and ruin your baseball team, you know what I mean? <laughs> Not make it to the playoffs. <laughs> so, you know, I, and, and I don't know if you've seen it yet, but I, I finally, he finally, finally won me over with his acting abilities in La La Land. He was also great in that Russell Crowe movie. Which uh, escapes me right now. Uh, not for the Catholic viewer, probably, but uh, I think right. it's called The Nice Guys. I can't remember. And, yeah, 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 yeah. So he's got chops, but in this in this role, like he has to dominate the screen. He has to be a robot. He has to be a robot who may be a human, or at least be uh, becoming a human or experiencing human things. Right. And he does it all great. And there's the one scene, which I, I won't spoil what happens, where he kind of explodes finally in a little bit of anger, but it's controlled kind of an anger. And yep. I just, I was super impressed with Gosling. Uh, you know, it's one of those deals where, because of how they center the shots, you know, where they're, you know, they really want you to see, like, the characters in the scene. So you're not necessarily having, like, uh, you know, distorted angles on the face or anything like this, but, like, you have to sort of like be part of the scenery and still show all these emotions, but also be someone who doesn't talk a lot. And he just nailed it. Yeah. I mean, and, and you know, he somehow made you think that he was a faithful robot who, that you were happy that he was like sticking to his love for a hologram. And yeah. if you haven't seen the movie, like what I'm saying now sounds really stupid or bizarre, but like in the movie, it's very human how he does it, and you're just yeah, I like just flat out amazed. Like given a really difficult role to play, and just totally just nails it, nails it at every moment. Indeed, and I and there was always the fear on my part too that you know maybe Harrison Ford would mail this in since he's in the nursing home and everything. But uh, again, I thought he brought it, and uh, I thought he pulled off his screen time well, although it's considerably less. Yeah, my brother uh, made the point that they allowed Harrison Ford to be Harrison Ford instead of like just a reprise of like our warm, fuzzy memories about an old movie, kind of like with what they did with Han Solo. Right. The perfect moment is like uh, uh, he uh, Ryan Gosling, Kay asked Deckard, is the dog a replicate? And he goes something to the effect of like, I don't know, ask the dog. Exactly. You're, you're like, man, that is... Yeah, that's just exactly how Decker would talk. Right. Was he so wasn't pl he wasn't playing 1980 Harrison Ford. He was 80 year old Harrison Ford. Yeah, it was fantastic. Okay, and you know because of all these things, the glacial pacing, nothing. I, I was undaunted. It was great. There is one one thing I must mention that uh, could give pause to some viewers, because you know I went into this and I was like, well, I'll check what the you know what the USCCB has to say or whatever is reviewing instead of them now. Right. And there's nudity aplenty, okay? And so I'm like, oh, great. Uh, uh, uh. And some people yeah. are criticizing this movie for being misogynistic and showing that women are only good for sexual objects and blah, blah, blah. And, the, of course, it shows the exact opposite. Oh, yeah. And, and it's it, like, did you watch the movie? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I don't know if they did or not, but anyone who's that stupid could watch it and miss the point or fail to watch it. Either one's very possible. But, uh, yeah, it, it shows the complete... Um, how, how sexuality becomes commoditized and degraded when it's detached from, you know, true humanity and, and true love and, and all that. And that's great. But like like we talk about, you know, I, I don't like to say that, you know, even even nudity that is well-placed is sometimes not necessary. But 
in this movie, I don't know whether it's strictly speaking necessary that you have to see nudity, but if it is, it certainly wasn't gratuitous. Every scene that had some form of nudity was for a purpose that served the plot, that served the themes of the movie. Yeah, so the, 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 the main point of this being right that when they actually have a scene that they're you know that they're getting ready to like him and this character and again not to ruin it all they're getting ready to like have sexual intercourse they actually don't show it right like they 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 don't show that uh the closest thing to like being gratuitous is maybe the um i mean they so obviously replicants are used as prostitutes because again they're they're abused they're given all the horrible jobs and they actually don't show it happening but they like show it of course happening behind like fogged glass mm-hmm. uh but even there you go like i think they're trying to show you know the, the degrading nature what i'm going to say though is like when you actually see someone nude in this movie it's almost like a painting of the birth of venus is what they're going after now right. i'm not i'm not an idiot i'm not going to say that we're going to be showing like clips of Blade Runner 49 necessarily 200 years from now and saying this is the height of art but I'm going to say that if you're going to make an argument that there's a time in a work of art where nudity is necessary or plays into what the plot is trying to get at this is the first time in loads of instances that I could think of where yeah. is the case I mean I'll tell you the one because they, they sort of, sort of like showed a little bit in the preview um, where the like 12-story hologram woman is, like, mm-hmm. bending down to talk to him. Mm-hmm. That is one of the most haunting scenes that I, that I can think of that I've, that I've watched in the past 15 years. And I don't even know why. It's just so, like, primal, but but not in like this whole time you're thinking like that's a this, this is a replicant looking at a giant hologram uh but there is something so compelling about how that scene is that i don't know i i think i, I don't know what you would have done different like that that is the perfect scene for that time in the movie and if that makes me you know terrible according to standards because i'm 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 okaying nudity i just don't know what else you would do to sort of make that visual point like they did yeah i mean again there's always going to be reasonable disagreement at the margins but suffice to say it's like the inversion of that old you know like supreme court test pornography or obscenity i know it when i see it i know non-pornography when i see it too right and this is not in any way uh pornographic whether it's strictly speaking necessary in every detail i don't know but it's nothing there that's going to be uh to a, a normal, well-formed person, a arousing material. It's, right. Everything about it is to, to, to do the opposite effect. Yeah, maybe 13-year-olds sit this one out for a while, but hey, otherwise... Man, a 13-year-old, there's no telling, but I'm talking... Yeah, because, <laughs> I mean, like, they, they, they show one of the, the replicants sort of be born, and, again, it's one of the things where, like, yes, technically they're naked, but that is not... It, it, you know, it's, you're not supposed to be exploiting the person you're actually looking at. You're supposed to be sort of like horrified and mystified all at the same time. And again, another scene where, man, Jared Leto, I would, I don't think I would, I don't think I'd befriend him after this because he is, he is so realistic as like maybe the guy that's trying to ruin us all. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're never speaking again. I mean, we used to be close friends, but I'm just, I'm not even calling Jared anymore. It's not happening. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So yeah, I mean. I'm impressed. You know, I can't really judge a movie. I know you respect the at least two viewing standard. 
Um, I can't give it a final verdict, but on a first watch, I was I was very impressed. And could could time have been cut off? The pace the pacing was glacial, I suppose, but I really don't care because it was such a, uh, a life affirming movie and a delight to watch. Well, the last thing that I'll say too, just like to make the point about misogyny. People go like you're only like I, someone wrote this like you're only gonna like this if you're a man. I'm like every leader who's not bad is a woman in this. Funny enough, and actually the only human woman because like most everybody else is replicants that we deal with. The only human woman is like the boss of the entire detective agency, and I didn't think that they portrayed her like bad or demeaning. I was I was genuinely flummoxed by this because again. Jared Leto's character, who is terrible to, like, the, the female replicants, is the bad guy. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know, I don't know what they were wanting, I guess. And even the, and even the head evil, or the best, his, his main assistant, who's, like, the, the biggest butt kicker in the movie, is a woman. I mean, I think people just go in with a preconceived worldview, and then they just pick, cherry pick to support that. That's pretty much 2017 in a nutshell. I guess, yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I understand the, the the two viewings, and I'm gonna try to make sure to watch it again. But easily, this is at least a nine, and I, I think uh, ranging towards nine point five. It, it, I was, I, I've been thinking about it since I watched it, and if everybody who's I've who I know has watched it, I've made sure to talk to him about it because it's just that compelling of a movie. Exactly. I think one of the one of the biggest. Uh indicators of me if I if a movie's worth it or not is how many times did I check my watch uh did it make me think did I did I uh did I enjoy it but then also uh did I become a proselytizer for it like did I want to tell other people about it and so far this year the two movies that have surpassed all the others sorry Dunkirk I mean objectively I don't know but have been Blade Runner and Baby Driver those are the ones that have stuck with me and they're both 9.5s to me yeah, I, I agree totally. If, uh, Dunkirk, um, I, I can see why some people have it fall below the other two. I think it's really good as well. But if you were going to say I only can watch two movies, I would say Blade Runner and, and Baby Driver. And, and, and both of them just because of their ability. Because, you know, again, movies are getting really where it's like, let's let's make nostalgic callbacks to things that will give you warm and fuzzies. And, and even Baby Driver does that some but it, it sort of subverts the way it's usually done and just to a whole new way. And, and so I think Blade Runner is the same way as like, you know, when they have the big Atari sign on the side of the building, it's not like you're like, oh, remember Atari? <laughs> it's more it's more all like it, it, it's more like all all glorious fleeting or something yeah, like this. Exactly. Right? Yeah, they couldn't have chosen a better one. And uh, yeah, I, I, I just I really liked it, Bo. What can I say? I can't really well, and criticize him. And, and it's one of those deals, too, where you even start thinking of small details. So not only big plot things like what is a human, what makes us human. I'm like, is that snow or is that yeah. ash? Exactly. And the it, smog snow of Los Angeles. It's yeah. Cool. And you're just like, oh, so so terrible, right? And and there's all these movies that like are really sort of pressing the ecological issue from like the re, you know, the Noah to Mother and and even like ones that I think we've been, you know, more favorable for like a uh Well, I will Mad brook Max. no criticism of Noah. We'll, we can do a podcast about that. Oh, okay. But uh, but the idea is that without like ramming it in your face, Blade Runner makes it go like, "Oh, we we would 
Las Vegas might be heading that direction. Yeah, you know? exactly. And uh, and see it while you can, folks. See it in a theater for all that is is worthwhile. Please see yes. this movie in the theater and do it quickly because it's bombing. So go help it and uh, and, and and see it while you can. So, so you know my my only my only silver lining about it bombing is the only worry I have about it. And again, like not to so not to bring up the major plot point at the end, but you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. I'm re- so they did a great job, but they also made it where they could make a sequel. And yeah. I'm like, Lord, yeah. please let it do bad enough that they won't <laughs> that they won't do a sequel for at least like another 20 years. Exactly. I do not want the Marvel Cinematic Universe of Blade Runner, please. No. I mean, like, think about how depressing that is. <laughs> that, <laughs> that is truly dystopian, right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh gosh. So, so well, that's yeah. It. Oh, go ahead. Thanks go ahead. for inv- yeah. Thanks for inviting me. I, well, I, I, really I wanted, wanted to give to you. It. I wanted to give you a chance. This has been such a you know a, an agreeable podcast. I, I figured maybe you should say something about the Tim Man before we go. Well, I mean, does the the Tin Man? He kind of would like Jared Leto, right? Like that's his version of of good good leadership, right? <laughs> I'll let him know that you said he, so. He like watches that movie and he's all like, "Well, thank you for letting me see this political envisioning movie." <laughs> <laughs> I will uh, I will leave it at that, ladies and gentlemen. For the good Reverend Doctor Master and my compadre Bob, I'm a Catholic movie guy, and I'm out. <laughs> <laughs>